I remember one time sitting in a conference room on a, on a, a higher floor. Right outside in the estuary is um, Port of Oakland's what they call Inner Harbor Turning Basin. So big ships will come in, they will come in pointing into the estuary, and they'll have two or three little tugs that are turning that ship. And eventually they'll turn it so it's facing the opposite direction, and then they'll park it at a, at a pier in the Inner Harbor and they'll start unloading it. And I'm sitting there, and it was like an epiphany of sorts, and I'm looking at this thinking, here's the Port of Oakland's health and safety program. And that's exactly how I viewed it, it was a big old ship. It's a big, massive ship. And, and who am I? I'm that little tug. And I just, you just gotta start pushing. You just gotta start pushing, because that tug will eventually turn, turn that ship. Hey podcast, thanks for tuning in. This is episode number two with Desmond DeMoss, the Health and Safety Director for the Port of Oakland. In this episode, he gives us an insight into what it is the organization does and how they think about safety from an organizational standpoint, from a human standpoint, and how that has shaped the culture of their, of their organization. And he walks us through his journey of how he got to where he is today being a leader in the health and safety space. I hope you get a lot of value from this podcast. Please, please, please give me your feedback. I would love to hear what you think about this episode and enjoy. It was a connection with my father-in-law who had been in the union for you know, 30 years. Yeah. And so was able to help me kind of navigate into that. And so we did pipe installation. We had a chance to, the exposure for me was to give it, you know, a chance to expose to the, the petrochemical industry and just the safety aspects that revolve around that industry. So, I mean, it was kind of unique. Short-lived, but it was unique. How long did you do it for? I think I six, eight months. Yeah, and then I was ready to be done. <laughs> I, I, I want to ask you more about that. Okay. Um, okay, so we are here with Desmond DeMoss, He's yes, the Director of Safety for the Port of Oakland. Um, you've been with the company for how long now? Um, I've been with the Port of Oakland for 18 years. So I've been working with the Port of Oakland here. My official title is Environmental Health and Safety Specialist, um, but I manage the Safety and Health Program for the Port of Oakland. And awesome. I've been doing that since I started. Have you always been in, have you come in, have you, did you come in at this high level position? I did. Yeah, I was hired into this position directly. Um, there were actually others that have worked kind of in as a group, as part of a environmental health and safety compliance group, and uh, they had certain expertise. And so it's you know recently has kind of folded into into one position. Um, so it's it's created kind of the needs to for me to expand beyond just the specific health and safety program, mm -hmm. you know, which involves training and program development to, you know, larger and greater areas. So emergency management and, uh, you know, construction safety, insurance, risk management, uh, enterprise risk management. Those are all little kind of nuanced things that I've had to learn and know. Um, like you, you wouldn't, you didn't come into this role like with the full, Basic knowledge, like it's been. No, no. I mean, over the course of 18 years, of course, you would expect right. that there's right. a lot of learning. 
and some of it, you know, from my history, you know, I had knowledge of it, but it wasn't something that I was expected to, right. to do, you know, and be a part of. So tell our listeners just a, a little sort of like background, um, like, okay, Port of Oakland, I think everyone will have their assumptions or whatever. It's kind of like, yeah, the Port of Oakland, I know what they do. I see them, you know, right. I see the port every time I cross the Bay Bridge. And um, what is it that the organization does? Okay, so the Port of Oakland is a, um, we support transportation uh, for both economic as well as, you know, public moving of people via air. Um, and right, so it's broken down into... So we have three divisions. There's three, three divisions. Um, there's actually three. There's, the third one is, is a minor division. Okay. Um, and I say that, but it minor, but it's not from size, it's actually not minor. So that division is our commercial real estate operation. So um, the Port of Oakland was formed back in the early 20s as a charter to the city of Oakland. And they established uh, the uh, Board of Commissioners. Uh, the Board of Commissioners were basically the assigned or appointed by the city mayor to oversee the interest of the state of California, which is the waterfront. So the waterfront spans from, you know, Radio Beach, which is actually on the north side of the Bay Bridge, uh, all the way under everything that is considered maritime organization, which is all your crane operations, and then that supporting land that, that adjoins, um, with the exception of a few little areas where the city of Oakland has taken possession um, as part of the like army base reuse plan. Okay. Uh, and then all the way down the waterfront, uh, which includes you know, minus a few private areas that are owned by companies. Um, there, you the guys waterfront. are basically managing that whole yes. sort of territory. The territory. So, so we actually have property bridge. that runs down, all down in Barcadero and our in Oakland is all Port of Oakland property. Um, you get into you know. So that's area. where the real estate manages because I'm yeah. sure there's some serious revenue generating. Oh yeah, absolutely. We have we have buildings. Um, the, uh, you know, we have a, uh, there's the airport kind of corridor where Hagenberger comes in. There's mm -hmm. actually a big chunk of property that's owned by the Port of Oakland, that's managed by the Port of Oakland, um, that's out, that's actually out that far. That's part of commercial real estate as well. It's not considered part of aviation. So does your, like, so I, I didn't know there was a third division, but now that you say it, it makes sense. That's yeah. kind of a logical part of the overall organization. Yeah. Do you, are you managing, are you looking at safety, health and safety? How, how do you classify? So, so we, we have our three divisions, prime divisions, um, and uh, I would be remiss to say that there's actually a very tiny fourth that's actually revenue generating. So it's based on revenue generation. Sure. So these, these divisions actually generate revenue. The remainder of the port support the revenue generation. So. We don't collect taxes like a city organization. It's basically on aviations, on rates and charges for aviation airlines. Uh, maritime is on the imports and exports and the tariffs and the, 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 the you know, I, I'm not a finance person. No, so it's basically a it's connection a to, you know, essentially anything that goes comes in and out. There's a fee that's connected and that's how the port will make it you know, financial-wise. Sure. Uh, commercial real estate is leases so and like, agreements. For, for example, with the shipping, like there's boats coming in from 
all over the world. All over the world. Especially China, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, actually, how, of all the boats that come in, how many roughly come from China would you have? Uh, probably 80% or more. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, They're I'm coming sure. from Asia. Let's coming put it that way. Asia, right, right. it's not necessarily like China. It could be Taiwan. It could be right. right. A number of different, you know, it could be Korea. Uh, it could be a number of different you, you don't have to indulge in the details, but like basically those boats get charged a fee to bring their the, goods into the port. You, the containers that go off and on are charged a fee. Got it. Okay. So they so actually utilize, container. utilize. yeah, they're, it's based on TEUs, what they call, uh, you know, 20 ton equivalent units. So it's T -T 20, 20 foot, 20 foot T -T equivalent T -T units. So each container, it, there's 20 foot containers, there's 40 foot containers, there's 45 foot containers. Right. So typically it's on a 20 foot. So if you have a 40 foot, it's two TEUs. If you have a 20 foot, it's a one TEU. So they, they basically, that's, that's kind of the, and so our operation for the most part supports, you know, the revenue the generation of revenue, which really is about the agreements, the leases, the, sure. you know, the tenant agreements, the, you know, all of the agreements that are established. And so as a, as a result, because the Port of Oakland is the caretaker on behalf of the state of California of the waterfront in Oakland, um, you know, we have an obligation to caretake. And as a result of that, it involves, you know, a number of things. It involves an environmental aspect. So we have a huge environmental uh, you know, department or division that oversees the environmental um, aspects, um, which originally was where I, um, I was hired into the environmental health and safety compliance, which involved, you know, uh, we had a number of different folks that did mostly environmental compliance, which was our regulated sites. Uh, we have, you know, sites that, you know, we have historical contamination. There were sites at the Port of Oakland, there was, you know, coal tar factories there was i mean it just it, if you so look at the like history of the businesses that were we were actually the ground right we were all involved about the ground so from from that perspective i've got into this division this department uh which you know involved for environmental yeah um but it was specifically from from my role specifically was about the employees right okay. so you have the environment, which was a part of, was the ground, was the soil, the water, the air. And then we had the compliance that involved the people. Yes. Uh, right? Which, so is, which is what has drawn me into wanting to like have this conversation. Exactly. In the first place, like we've talked in the past, it's been, um, it was that safety meeting. Right? Yes. And I, I've said that to you before. Um, that's, I think a lot of people will agree, a lot of people listening will agree that you know, in any organization or business, you've got, you've got the people side of it. Yeah. That's often the most challenging side because there's, it is. it's very complex, it's very right. subjective. Absolutely. Um, you're dealing with a lot of, a lot of sort of moving unpredictable parts. Right. And of course, without the right people, the right manpower in place, you're, you know, you're. Right. A, a contaminated piece of, of land can be cleaned up. And it doesn't talk back to you. It, you know, pollution is is different in a lot of a lot of areas. I mean, it's we could get into the mentality of things, but you know, yeah. I mean, it, uh, I understand. Uh, yeah. It's a you know, dirt, dirty dirt can be clean, but you know, a person that comes in with maybe a bad behavior, 
sure. you know, a safety or a safety habit or a habit that they've learned that was unsafe or, I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, from a safety perspective, that's, they're, they're really, what I look at, they're, they're these kind of, these uh, soft, untangible issues. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can look at a piece of machinery and say, oh, it's missing this, this, and this, and replace that, and now it's no longer missing those things. But if I look at a person and say, well, well, they, they've been doing this for 20 years, and it's a habit that is formed, you know, how do you change that? It's a behavior, it's a, there's, there's culture, there's behavior, there's, you know, just learned things, there's, you know, and that's, that's a challenge, because, you know, how do you convince somebody that the way you've been doing it is wrong, when I thought it has been right the whole time? That's where it becomes kind of, but you know, even for the size of the organization, it's not a big organization. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever experienced here where we've you know been more than you know 800 employees at any given time. Sure. Um, you know, now we're actually very lean, so we're very lean in the sense of you know resource to some degree resource strained because we you know we just we we don't have the, the bodies that we used to have. And, you know, there, there wasn't really a kind of a fine medium. And that's actually difficult, you know. So, you know, anybody listening, obviously, that's, those are those things where you've got to find that fine medium to operate and function. Totally. Because it ultimately will have an effect on how you implement your safety program. It will have an effect on, you know, how the behavior of the person will be changed, uh, the culture will be changed. Because it, you know, there's a feeling by the employees that, you know, management doesn't care, then why should I care? And so that's a, that's a, that's a difficult thing to really drive home and, you know, and ingrain. So, so we found ourselves at a place where we're, where we're starting to see, uh, you know, some growth, um, you know, kind of stabilization, if you will, of just, you know, all right, we know what we need to get accomplished, um, you know, and, and working with a, you know, mind you, you got to figure that the Port of Oakland has been around since the early 20s, and some of our structures have been around since you know early 50s or earlier. So we have an aging infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, we have uh, you know grounds that we're maintaining that are you know they're aged, and so the work isn't going away. It, there's always constantly something to do, um, and it's always different. That's what's kind of interesting as well. So it's always kind of changing and I was just talking with somebody the other day and it was like you know we could have a, a, a group of our maintenance employees you know doing a task where you know they have a specific task at hand and they may do that task but then they may not do that task for six months eight months nine months a year five years or never right and so you know you kind of have to build your jobs based upon you know what you're doing at that moment to try to capture like, you know, the safety elements of it, you know, the, the hazards associated with the task, you know, the personal protective equipment needed or the controls that need to be put into place. So, so that, you know, that becomes kind of a, a little bit of a challenge. But. I get the sense that there's, there is like, you, you use the word challenge, but like, it's exactly that you're in a position where you're having to get buy-in from multiple levels of the organization mm -hmm. rather than like trickling that down to how, how many people are on the say how many people work on the port in the 
the maritime um, aviation. Aviation. Yeah. And so, well, it's, it, I think they're really the two focuses. Yes, so absolutely. Yeah. Not well, the real safety. estate, the commercial real estate, you know, it's really about the buildings and the structures. But there are, and then they, their agreements are set up in a way that you know, when you re rent this place, you do, you're responsible for a lot of the maintenance. So, so we we have some hands off in a lot of that area. Though we do have responsibilities for buildings that maybe aren't being leased currently, right? We have vacant buildings; those are okay. still our responsibility, yeah. right? So I think I noticed one a big one down here. Exactly. So you know, and, and you know, again, it depends on where it is, what it is. But for the most part, we have two maintenance organizations. We have an aviation maintenance, we or aviation maintenance, and then maritime maintenance. Maritime maintenance is not as big. It probably. Um, I think currently their current numbers are anywhere from about 30 to 40 employees. And it's all the trades. So we have plumbers, we have okay. carpenters, painters, electricians, um, we've got laborers, uh, we even have custodians. The aviation host, probably the largest group of custodians. Um, in fact, one of our largest maintenance segments is the custodial department. When you say custodial, just cl classify, clarify what that is. Custodial, so janitor, uh, I guess would be a better way to, to term, term that. Um, they basically responsible for the housekeeping, the upkeep, mm -hmm. trash removal, those sure. types of things. So we do have custodian that's assigned to maritime. It's really just a trash route, picking up you know trash at various locations. Um, but our custodians at the airport, they do the you know the the facility cleaning. So they'll carpets, floors, bathrooms, trash, those types of things. And then we have our, you know, our, our maintenance. Um, there's similar maintenance that happens, you know, with all the trades, plumbers, carpenters, and all of those trades that I've mentioned. Um, there's a few smaller groups that do stuff like fire prevention. They do fire extinguishers, fire system testing, things of that nature. Um, we have uh, another small group that's uh, one of our 24-hour operations, so they have three shifts. Um, they're equipment systems engineers, but there would be an equivalent like a stationary engineer. So these are the guys that you know maintain the heating, ventilation, air conditioning, um, the boiler systems, the you know lighting systems. So they change lights. They you know deal with the you know broken fixtures in the bathrooms. Uh, sure. You know those types of things. So. Um, that's a really heavy aviation because of the property. We we, well, yeah, we maintain the, the whole Oakland, Oakland airport. airport exactly. Whereas in maritime, it's really about roads, infrastructure. So it's the electrical systems, the water, the sewer, uh, and then the roads. Um, whereas in aviation, it's the building. We we maintain the building, and so so it becomes kind of a little bit different when it comes to the, the how the two operate and function. Um, the size of the aviation maintenance division is a lot bigger. Mm -hmm. So they, uh, with including the custodial, I believe that they're up to about 250 employees. So, two, so out of the, you know, currently employed at the port, 460, 200 plus are actually maintenance um, employees that work at the aviation area. And that's, you know, one thing, if, if you're not familiar with Oakland International Airport, it's actually separated into two separate distinct could be airports but there is one big airport there's over 5,000 acres of land that's actually out there um, that includes three runways 
Two of them are for general aviation, they're shorter runways, and then one is a larger commercial runway. That's where we do all of our uh, commercial cargo and passenger, commercial passenger. So all of your aviation, you know, your, your Southwest, Delta, United, Alaska, Valeris, I mean, we've been taking on some new international, Norwegian, uh, you know, a few others that, you know, been pretty spectacular. Um, and there's constant growth that's happening. You know, we've gone from, you know, depression time to, you know, lower than certain amount of millions of passengers back up to rates. So the passenger counts are high. So there's a lot of activity that's happening. Um, you know, so that that's, that's also kind of plays into that daily, you know, just operational sure, like you're functionality, you know, and, and being able to kind of keep up with that and have <clears throat> the employees, you know, continue to, to do the tax, you know, the demand. Hey, it's cold in this area. We'll send a couple of guys out to figure out why the air conditioning's not working, or the heater's not working, sure. or, you know, there's no lights in this area. And so, so they, they function on a day-to-day -day in that, from that aspect. Um, is, is there building going on? Is there construction going on? Always. Yeah. Always. It seems it's the same. I've been to... I don't, I don't think there isn't. Yeah, there isn't an airport airport unless it, it unless it's small and you know it just wants to be small. Um, there isn't an airport that's you know we're considered a medium-sized hub airport because of the passenger count. You know, you get into kind of the mega airports like Heathrow and some of these larger LAX. airports. LAX, Atlanta, Atlanta is the number the biggest airport in the it's United like the, States. The Delta hub is it? I, I believe so. Yeah. There. So, I mean, you think, you know, LAX, um, Atlanta, New York, JFK, you know, yeah. these are big airports, and uh, they're considered large hub airports. Uh, so, Salt Lake City are building two more terminals? Yeah, 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 so just that's, like I mean, that's... Operation. You know, I think there was, just kind of circling back there, I think there was, what, the construction's been going on there for maybe uh, over, over two years at least, I'm mm -hmm. not sure exactly the timeline. There has been reported, uh, I hope I have the facts right here, I think there's been four deaths oh, wow. since, since they've started. Yeah, I, I haven't kept up with anything like, you know, yeah. any of that, but that's interesting. Which is, you know, I mean, I don't know the, the causes of those, but like, sure. that's the, the kind of, you know, the, the average person on the street doesn't hear about, hear right. about those accidents. Right. You know? And it's kind of the, the day -to -day. Well, nobody wants that to so, be on their record. <laughs> so, look, the, the, there's... <clears throat> you, you've been here for 18, 18 years. 18 years, yeah. And why did you, what? Got me into this. What, what, why safety? So I actually, when I, when I graduated high school, I joined the Coast Guard. That was my, my choice, my path of choice um, was to join the military. It was, you know, that was probably best, the best suited option for me at the time. To, this is before it, or after college? This is actually... Right after high school, right after this high is school. yeah. I was 18 years old and and on my way to boot camp. Going for experience. Yes, exactly. Um, I'm not sure how I got hooked up with that. I think maybe maybe a friend talked me into it. I don't remember. But um, you know what I will say about that is probably the best move that I, for me personally, that I could have made. Because what it what it did do is it instilled you know a. a kind of a drive, if you will, to just be better, you know, do better. Um, 
you know, I, I come from a family that, you know, I mean, we weren't, we weren't well off. We weren't, you know, born my in parents, Modesto. yeah, born in Modesto. Um, you know, my parents, you know, they, there was always a yearning and desire to see their kids do better. And, and so I'm thankful that I can sit here today and say, you know, to mom and dad, you know, thank you. Right. And, awesome. um, for, for instilling hard work. You know, my dad was a hard worker. He labored and he was a hard worker. He still is. I mean, he, he works, I think more anyways, I won't get into the personal side of that. He's, <laughs> he works, but not physically any longer. Right. So he works his mind more. Sure. Um, but, um, so yeah, I joined the Coast Guard and then, you know, in the beginning, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to really do, you know, where I wanted to go. And I remember there was a pivotal point where um, he had a an opportunity to advance in my rank, and but what that caused was a decision that I had to make. Where, where what did I want to do? And so I actually had a he was a chief um, chief boatswain, and um, he'd been in the Coast Guard at that stage. Now, mind you, this is. 1992 that this you know occurred he had been in the Coast Guard for already probably pushing on 18 years and so we sat down and I, I think it was probably that pivotal moment that made it kind of a, a directional thing of what was going to happen in my life and he asked what do you want to do you know you literally asked him that what exactly is your plan he goes, do you plan on staying in this for the rest of your, you know, career? Or are you going to, you know, potentially leave and, and pursue something else? Was he your manager at the time? Yeah, so I reported directly to him. Um, and I had, I had actually changed my rank. But in the Coast Guard, when you, when you move up in a rank, you, you can't remain in that location unless there's an open spot for you in that location. They have only a certain amount of what they call billets that they could fill. Mm -hmm. And so I, because I had promoted, I, I, I basically, I had to be transferred. So I had to go somewhere else to fill a billet that was available for my, for my rank. Where were you operating at at the time? So at that time I was up in Washington, the state of Washington, I was actually in Port Angeles, uh, stationed on the Coast Guard Cutter Active. And uh, had been on there for probably two years. And so, you know, it was kind of the question, what do you want to do? And I had never really intended this to, you had intended it to be a career choice. It was not a career decision for me. It was really, you know, honestly, it was really about all about, you know, get the, get that enough experience. And then my thought was, Hey, I've got the ability to use the Coast Guard as the stepping stone, Sure. you know, just like any veteran. And I tell younger, younger you. veterans, if you don't have the option to get to college, you don't have the finances military will provide you with that vocational training and you know it's kind of like i didn't intend to stay in this thing you know for for any length of time i wasn't planning on doing that and so as a result <clears throat> I, you know i i stated that and I, and so he said well I, I noticed all your you know your choices here let me let me help you move some around so that it will actually organize you in, a, in the right way. And he says, you know, I wouldn't select this because, you know, and he gave me his reasons. Your choices for what? For the next station that I was gonna okay. move to. 
right? So it was kind of like you got to submit in this request That's to a good change. Manager. You've got to you got to submit this request, you know, and it goes up to the normal chain of command, and then then they'll basically look and go, okay, there's a spot here, so we can fit you in here. So he we had an idea of where that would be, man. So I'm I in my mind I'm thinking, you know, I'm from California. I want to come back to California. I don't want to live in rainy Washington, you know, and I love Washington. It was beautiful. It's gorgeous. In fact, you know, I would go back in a heartbeat. Um, and stay there for a length of time, but that would be it. And then I would come back to where it's sunny and warm and, you know, the climate is nice. And so, so I, I had no desire of being anywhere near that. Uh, I was West Coast, not East Coast. I wasn't South, I, you know, so it was like California is where I wanted to land. And so, <clears throat> so with that in mind, it was kind of like, well, here's your options. And so I started thinking about, well, what do I want, really want to do? And I ended up landing right here in the Bay Area. Um, I was at Coast Guard Island, which is the, the island between Oakland and Alameda that's just south of here that's actually connected to the Port of Oakland property, unbeknownst to me at the time. And, uh, and I got into, um, at the time, it was actually the Marine Safety Office. So that's what it was called, the Coast Guard Marine Safety Office. And so their responsibility was to, they had a couple of divisions to actually um, do like vessel safety. So they actually would board these large container ships and they would check to make sure they were uh, seaworthy, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I actually got connected with the division that did um, pollution response, spill response. And so we had, we had a responsibility from, you know, Northern California um, border, Northern California, Oregon border, Crescent City, all the way down to Morro Bay, and then everything in between was our responsible area. So we would respond to spills all throughout the state. So this so, is really the, the, at this time of your, you know, you're transitioning from the Coast Guard, which at the time was like, sure, I'll give the Coast Guard a go. Then you find yourself moving out to the Bay Area, joining the Coast Guard. I was still was, in the Coast Guard, yeah. Marine Safety. You, that was the organization. It was actually a Coast Guard unit that was a Marine Safety Office. It's no longer called that. I don't, I don't know what the name it is now. Did, but, did uh, you intend, did you make a conscious choice to be in the that was the, that was the That was the choice. That was actually the, the, the communication that I had with this chief. Because okay. he said, what do you want to do? He says, if you want a career, then this is my recommendation. Go to this unit. Because there you're going to receive all your training, you're going to receive all your experience, you're going to get all your knowledge that you're, going to, you're not going to get at these other units. And so that was my choice. I came down and sure enough, I, I, they, that, was the, that was part of their requirement. In order for you to, you know, to be at this organization, that you immediately send you to an eight-week school on marine safety. Everything that involves marine safety. And then you go to various you know programs for you know hazardous materials technician uh, you know there was just a number of different things. So when you joined, you moved into the barrier, You joined the this division of the Coast Guard. Yeah, I was assigned that division. You were assigned yes. Yeah, after after some 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 wise advice from your mm -hmm. your manager up in Washington, and then you were brought onto this team that was responding to mm -hmm. spills. Yeah, you were I was filling a, a billet, time. basically. I was filling a, 
a position that was available. And then you were sent on an eight-week training course. As part of as part of the just being there at that unit, that was part of their their requirement. You had to have this training course. You had to go through this training course. Um, so I mean, it was the opportunities. I mean, it was like just doors opening. Really, is what it boils down to. Um, and marine safety was all about marine safety. So we're not talking about you know the interface when they tie up to the pier. We're talking about the vessel. You know, traveling, transiting, um, and and everything that revolves around that operation. And you know, unbeknown again, unbeknownst to the, my direction, my path. You know, that I would eventually land at the port of Oakland who actually handles the boats that come in, the same ones that we would go and board and we would go and do safety checks on and we'd do all the, you know, all of these things. You know, the spill response aspect was a, was a huge because of the fact that when I arrived here, I joined the environmental division that was involved with contamination. So I already had the experience in dealing with, you know, things like uh, the federal, you know, Resource Recovery, you know, Conservation Act, and the uh, uh, you know CERCLA, which is all your contaminated sites and your hazardous waste operations. I had already had all of that training, and you know, had already experienced you know being involved with that process before I even arrived here. So it was kind of a setup to some degree, and then you know, of course, the there was that moment, that space of time when I got out of the Coast Guard to get to the Port of Oakland where, you know, it was just, I was doing consulting. And that really, I, I believe, really refined, you know, just refined kind of my, my whole experience to date. You know, you, go, yeah, you transition from, from the military. Military is a very, you know, it, it, the practices, the policies, the procedures, I mean, it is very checklist-oriented. It is very check-the-box, dot-the-I, cross-the-T operation. And so the consulting world kind of gave me the other side, the private industry, the organization, the business development, the, you know, how, how businesses function and operate. Um, it got me into the more regulatory body of Cal, Cal OSHA, mm -hmm. uh, you know, those types of things. And so at the time because I was very strong in the environmental you know I, I, I was kind of moving myself in that direction and you know one thing that, that and this maybe to touch on because you've mentioned some of the things you know just the focus for the younger up-and-coming um, get people in your life that can give you some wisdom that have been in it um, because at this time I also had another colleague who I was saying I want to go this direction and he says no he goes you have more experience in this area he goes I would advise you to go this direction because it would take you a long time to get to this point you know though that's commendable and you want to it was more environmental more you know environmental science and that he says but if you look at all your training it's very oriented towards health and safety he goes, what you need to drive is towards that direction. And so, again, it was another sound advice. And so instead of pursuing after, you know, your, your hazmat manager or your env environmental scientist, you know, degrees or, you know, I pursued after health and safety. And so I just chased after it. And I, and I would, 
you know, every opportunity, it would be a training opportunity, uh, uh, you know, some way, uh, you know, obtain certifications, whatever the case may be, I would, I would pursue after that. And, and then it came to a point where, you know, the business that I was working for, they struggled, they changed owners, they had a, you know, a number of, so it was kind of like, what do you do? You know, what's next, right? What's actually next? Now, I missed a piece because in between my Coast Guard and my consultant was the refineries. Yes, I, 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 I want to hear about that. Okay. I, I, think, the, I think others are going to want to hear about that. The, the refineries. So this was actually, this was, yeah, this was actually um, a space in my life where, you know, after military, it, there is a little, there is some struggle. Unless you have things really set up and organized, um, you know, a lot of military guys be struggle to, to transition into society as a whole because it's it's no more rigid, you know, cross the T, dot the I. Sure. And so, you know, to, to kind of change the way you think, change the way that you move, um, um, you know. Thankfully, you know, I had... Were you very aware of that at the time? Were you like, okay, I gotta... I was. I, I, gotta, I gotta make that shift. I was. Thankfully, I hadn't, you know, for guys that have been in, you know, military a lot longer, I'd only spent five and a half years. So, you know, five and a half years was just enough to get, you know, all the knowledge that, you know, kind of was the foundation knowledge for me. Um, but not so much to where, you know, you, you rely on that, that kind of very strict organization. And I know people even today that they still rely on that strict organization and they struggle in a, in kind of an industry that's not like that. Sure. You know, it's frustrating for them. So, so, you know, I hadn't, hadn't quite gotten to the point where I was so, you know, boxed into the military view that I couldn't, you know, transition easily enough. It was just, where do you go? You know, when you have all this experience, you know, there was, it wasn't like there was a preparation for leaving. Sure. Right. Oh, you're getting out of the Coast Guard. We're so happy for you. Why don't we set you up with a counselor here that can right. help you go and find a job? Now, today, I think it's a huge difference. It's but a bit, bit of better infrastructure. Absolutely, there. absolutely. But, you know, then, then it wasn't like that. And so it was kind of like you rely on your own contacts. Yeah, you were asking the right questions, obviously. Yeah. And, and so you rely on your own contacts. And for me, you know, just because I had a a brand new family you know I was married I had two kids my daughter literally was born uh, three days before I got out of the Coast Guard wow. and so I had two babies that I had to feed and it's like what do you do you know and so you kind of suck your pride up a little bit you swallow it you take a you know kind of dirty messy job and uh, you know with a in my mind, it was always the back of the mind. This is not what you're supposed to do for the rest of your life. Sure. And uh, but you're going to do this because you have to provide for your family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get in there, and so I did. Thankfully, you know, my father-in-law um, helped help that kind of step and uh, connections uh, that he had to be able to say, "Hey, listen, I don't want to see my daughter, you know, you know, sitting in the the." The yeah. you know the the, the sit, welfare sit line or yeah exactly exactly yeah, with candles you so so you know so he was very adamant about you know you need to do something and so let me help help you and so that worked and I and I was grateful for it you know but it it was a 
once once it's I started getting into what I was doing, it, it became very Adam, you know, very knowledgeable for me that this was not what I wanted to do. So, but, but before you move on from that, what uh, what was it that you did? It was in Benicia, right? Yeah. So I actually worked for the um, it's it's called the uh, Heat and Frost Asbestos Insulation Union. I think that's the way that they call themselves. And so they did pipe insulation predominantly for the refineries. And so my first job actually, or assignment through the union, was to a, a company that was doing a huge uh, pipe insulation for Exxon Benicia. So we were actually at the Exxon facility there, a beautiful facility, um, hot as all get out. It was July when I you know, went to this facility. It was summertime when I did this job. And so, you know, I, I, that was where I got exposure to heat stress illness. Yeah. Uh, you get exposure to, you know, the safety nuances with, you know, confined space and, you know, all of those kind of aspects that you didn't really experience in the Coast Guard. It was, it was very industrial. It was very, you know, that experience very created a very you know, interesting knowledge about the industrial setting, you know, PPE and, uh, you know, protective equipment that you were absolutely required to wear. And if you didn't, you know, um, you would have something fall on your head, get in your eyes, um, burn you. I mean, so they were, that was the one thing that, you know, the refining industry is very, very adamant about. I mean, I think anybody that's ever worked in refining knows yeah, you're caught without a hard hat on, you know, you're check one, check two, check three, you're out. You're gone. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you Even can't be at the time, do you feel like there was a high level of, uh, did they enforce it? Was there compliance? It was really, for, for that I saw, that I remember, it was really um, the refinery would require the employer and the employer then would require the employee. And if the employee wasn't doing it, then the refinery would come back against the employer. And so that was their stick, is it would be that, you know, this is all, again, we're talking early 90s, mid 90s. And uh, so, you know, we experienced wearing Nomex coveralls, you know, in the middle of summer. And today, I mean, I look at some of the materials and I go to the safety conferences and stuff, I'm like, man, if I had those 20 years ago. It would have been sweet, breathable performance, performance hybrid, exactly. You know, back then it was just heavy and dense and, you know, just, you know, and, and I had some, some experiences that were just like, wow, like, uh, you know, unheard of experiences, like, you know, feeling overheated and not realizing it was potentially heat exhaustion, you know. So you're, you're outside, you're on the Exxon Mobil uh, oil refinery, what, what age are you at this point? Um, I'm early 20s, so my daughter was born in 95, and at that time I would have been 25, 24. So you're, you've taken on this role. How, what was it that you were doing for the, the insulation so contractor? We, we actually would, in, would install insulation, right? I mean, we would, we would basically have a couple hundred feet of pipe that required a particular type of insulation that were basically two pieces that you join together and you cover with metal sheeting. Okay. And so that's what we would do. So in this particular job, it was a very a, a 
apprentice heavy job so there were more apprentices to journeyman and so it you know you got a little more hands-on experience working with the equipment and stuff um, when that job was complete I was still with the same company but transferred to another operation out in Rodale and that's where it was a very journeyman heavy job and so there was not that many apprentices so the work wasn't you weren't doing much work you were doing grunt work so heavy lifting uh, you know go get my tools right. uh, you know it became kind of a grunt work yeah and it was probably at that stage where I realized you know you know I constantly was was would push out you know I contact people you know when I get off of work and call you know hey what's going on you know just want to keep make sure my name is still there and present you know before you and hey you know any work happening so and then it, it, when I moved out to Rodeo, I realized that I had to, I had to transition. And uh, so that's when I actually, because it was just, it was just horrible. I remember one job doing where I had to, literally was tasked to unload an 18 wheeler of these, that's pipe insulation. The boxes are probably um, anywhere from 40 to 50 pounds a piece. And it was full from top to bottom, front to back of these boxes. And I was all by myself. So I had to climb up into the truck. I had to lower them down. I had to pull, push them down. I had to open them up. I had to inventory right on the box what it was, put it off to a side and do this. So I was doing this for a couple weeks. And I got about halfway. This sitting outside in the middle of Yeah, it's a big, just big heat. container. It's hot inside the truck, hot outside. There's no shade, there's no nothing. And I just, I finally got to the place where I was like, I can't do this anymore. And you, it, you didn't have the fancy like cooling vest and like no, the, the sun no, brim. No mix coveralls, hard hat, you know. Get, get the job yeah, done. Get the job done. You know, here's a sweatband. Um, but yeah, so, so yeah, I mean, I look at, again, I look at all the fancy stuff and thinking, man, I could have probably lasted a lot longer. But I finally, it was just like, I wasn't, I didn't go through all this training. I didn't go through, you know, Marine Safety School. They didn't go for, through all of this, you know, certification to be doing this. And, um, you know, it was at that moment, I, I don't know, call it divine intervention, but, you know, the door opened up and, uh, you know, a guy that I'd been connected with, that I actually did training with, in, you know, years past, you know, called and said, hey, there's a position, you know, are you willing to take it? And I, I basically, that, if I remember correctly, I probably went to the superintendent of that job and said, hey, I just wanted you to know this is my last day. You're gonna have to figure out how to finish unloading that truck, and you know, don't expect me to come back. And I was done. I was gone, um, and started my consulting career, which lasted about four and a half years. Um, which we did safety training, we did site audits on companies all throughout the Bay Area, and that gave me again that kind of more OSHA-based experience of you know dealing and interface with people. You know, before I wasn't, I wasn't doing training. We weren't, you know, I didn't have classes to do training. And that's, you know, that's always one of those kind of, you know, fears that people have, right? It's one of the top five fears of all people is to speak in front of a crowd. I guess after my Coast Guard career, I, I never was afraid. You know, it was like, I'll, I'll just do it. And, uh, you know, there was always a little bit of nervousness, but once you start it, you know, do it and you do it so many times, it just, 
it's almost like you just it's part of what you do in fact i always tell younger younger guys i said you know the safety world is is not just about you know the personal protective equipment or the program development i said you got to interface with people and it's because that's all it is that's what it's about and it's about you know the people that you that you work with and um you know and you're and you're working you know on a day-to-day basis and you know, at, at the time of my consulting time, I actually had um, the owner of the company. Um, we were sitting down. This was a transition time for her. She was getting ready to retire. She'd been working the business for 20 plus years at that time um, and was ready to just go. Her husband got a transfer, and so she was going to sell the business. And, you know, it wasn't like she was sitting me down to sell it to me. That was not what was happening. But it was more of I wanted you to know, you know, because you've been with me for four years. You're one of my senior trainers, um, and which I, you know, I, I was like, this is, you know, great. You know, I appreciate it. And uh, but she said something that was kind of interesting was um, about they they really I think stuck with me even to this day was about the passion of what we do. And she made a comment. She goes, you know, I look at. And, and I and it was almost like you know I want to convey this to you this 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 you know statement of wisdom to convey and it's some, it's kind of a little bit of a mantra that I hold on to and I try to do every you know in everything that I do and you know it's that it's that statement it's like you know you gotta at sometimes look at what you're doing and realize that what I'm doing potentially is gonna you know save somebody from harm or losing their life or you know something incredibly detrimental and so when you're out there doing it you've got to keep that always in the back of your mind and it's not about you know the rule or it's a, but it's about you going home today because your wife or your children need you you know or your significant other or whoever your dog I don't care somebody needs you and so so you know with that in mind that's what they you know kind of created for me this this you know, passion to just to do what I do. Oh, well, and to keep going in this, in you know, in the capacity of being training <laughs> and with safety being the, mm-hmm. the the sort of the the foundation. It's the it's the basis for you know, it's you know when you think safety and you, know, you think about that term. I mean, what does it really mean? It's very broad. It is very broad to be safe. You know, is you know, and it's kind of technical term. Yes, free from harm. You know, free from injury. Free from you know those. We look at it from more of a dictionary type term. But, yeah. But you know, to be safe from something, you know, that's a that's a huge thing. You know, just sort of like building off of that. Have you have you seen the term "safety is our goal"? Mm-hmm. Have you heard of it? Right. Yeah. I've always had a problem with that term. Yeah. Because that's not really the goal. Mm. Right? I would agree. Um, and I've seen it a few times. I feel like it's like it's like one of those signs that yeah. you know, they're like, let's Mission. get that sign and put it up in the office or yeah. put it down in the yard or whatever. Yeah. Um, I feel like it kind of misses the point. You know, it gets people thinking, it's like, well, if safety is my goal, it's like if you're in an organization or an operation, mm. there's goals. Safety is just you know, parallel to everything that you do. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, that's a, that's a, no, that's a that's a great way of putting it because I, I think a lot of times, you know, we miss sight of that. And I say we in just industry business, you know, maybe even the United States, maybe it's the world. Um, we lose sight of the fact that, you know, what is our goal? And some people's thoughts, you know, making a lot of money is the goal. Um, you know, building a better widget is the goal. You know, but really all of those play into that, right? Uh, he had an uh, interesting sure. conversation with an engineer one time, and you were, you know, you, you'd look at a project unfolding, and, you know, this, this individual was incredible with his way that he managed projects, because he understood kind of the, all of the uniqueness to it. And he said, you know, if you get bottlenecked into the idea of time and budget only, you're missing everything. Because there's a whole lot of competing things that are that are coming to play. He he gave an illustration that I thought was really amazing, and he and he took a piece of rope and tried, put it into a circle, and then he he had an individual standing. Okay, your time, your budget. Now, if we think those things, that it, it'd be easy just to kind of hey, time and budget. We just manipulate time and budget. He says now throw in safety, throw in environmental throw in, you know, regulatory bodies and their permitting process. And you throw in all of these other elements and each one has a pull on this project. And so now all of a sudden your time is constrained or your budget is constrained or, and, and his, his whole objective that, you know, learned from this is like, so you've got to figure out a way of how to evenly, so that all of it functions as one. And it becomes one. That means that the safety is not separate from it, but it is part of it. And the time, budget, all of these project elements are part of it. And so we just basically parse out as as it functions, but it all functions as one. You know, and, and you know, when I first got here to the port, they didn't think like that. They didn't think like that at all. In fact, safety was something completely separate. It was not a part of function. I mean, I had, I had people that would outright say, well, that's not my job. It's your job. That's what you're hired to do. And it's like, I need to remind you that it's, you're the one that is, you know, it's like the regulations that call out, you know, the supervisor is responsible to ensure employees are trained. Well, I'm not the supervisor. I'm just the guy that's in here supporting you as the supervisor right. to be able to provide you with the, you know, the advice, the support, the you know those types of things but really when it, when the rubber hits the road you're the one that has to account for why that individual has done or has not done something correctly because you're their immediate supervisor that's the responsibility of that lies upon you um, that's a hard one for people to realize you know and that's a hard one even for some safety professionals to realize i, I want to take all of this responsibility no you can't it's not it's not it's like where that. The people thing comes in. It's so huge where the people come think comes in. You know, it's you just you can't because you're only one person, and you can't be everywhere. So how have you been? You know, I'm sure it's evolved. You know, over yes. the course of 18 years. But give us a sense of you know when you joined, what was your focus and what were your challenges, and then today, you know, where you are today. And what, do you, what is your focus and what are your challenges? Okay. Are there any similarities? 
So I give you a little analogy that I, that I saw probably when I first got here. And, you know, we're sitting here in my office right now. We've got a view out to, you know, out to the, to the Maritime Port. We can see all the way in the sandwich. And uh, we had, I remember one time sitting in a conference room on a, on a, a higher floor. Right outside in the estuary is um, Port of Oakland's, what they call Inner Harbor Turning Basin. So big ships will come in, they will come in pointing into the estuary and they'll have two or three little tugs that are turning that ship. And eventually they'll turn it so it's facing the opposite direction and then they'll park it at a, at a pier in the inner harbor and they'll start unloading it. And I'm sitting there and it was like an epiphany of sorts and I'm looking at this thinking, here's the Port of Oakland's health and safety program. And that's exactly how I viewed it, it was a big old ship. It's a big massive ship. And, and who am I? I'm that little tug. And I just, you just gotta start pushing. It's massive and it's huge, but it will turn that ship. And so I sat there and this, it was like just happening before my eyes. I'm sitting here watching this, struggling to put, put my hands around what this program is all about. And, and I'm looking and I go, well, there you are. You're that little tug down there that's just pup, 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 pushing against it. But the beauty of it is eventually it will get in the right direction. And when it gets in the right direction, then it can start doing and functioning. And so in the beginning, it was all about direction. It was all about getting it in the right direction because this place was way disorganized. I mean, we had, we had things that were, you know, old, dated. We didn't have things at all. There were some programs that were non-existent. Um, I remember the manager at the time was very concerned about that as we were presenting this. And so they decided to conduct an internal audit on the whole program. Let me tell you, that was, that was probably the most beneficial yet frustrating time of my career here. Because it literally created, you know, potentially, you know, it created opportunities, but it also created vulnerabilities. And, you know, it was kind of like, wow. And it also created, you know, this reveal of this behavior and this mentality that was pre-existent, uh, you know, that was, that predated the health and safety department period at the Port of Oakland. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so we write, we write the ship and we are able to get it straightened out. And, you know, I, is it 100%? No. You know, is it a constant? constant, you know, work and, and, you know, just you look, think about it, that same analogy, you know, you can push the ship and turn it around, but if it's not motoring under its own power, you still got to have control of it. You still got to orient it. You know, this is where a lot of my Coast Guard, because I mean, the waves can put it off course. The wind can put it off course. There's factors that happen. There's sure. things that, so you're constantly adjusting, you're constantly, you know, kind of shifting you're constantly making changes and you know trying this and trying that and it's never it's a never-ending job and a, and a challenge where the challenge lies is are you doing it alone or do you have support from upper management do you have support from ground do you have support you know from the grassroots do you you know and so that has been if if, if anything that's where the people aspect comes in because so if you're not a people person you're gonna you're gonna be climbing the hill and it's gonna be rough. 
Yeah, you're, yeah you're, honestly going to be proud. You're, you're going to be doing it on your own. Yeah. Um, I love the analogy. That's like, I can, yeah. I can see it. I can see it. Like, I can see how you could have seen that sitting from this office. Um, you mentioned, so like you mentioned communication. I definitely want to dive into that a, a little bit more. And especially then bringing it up to sort of today, today which right. is, and talking a bit more about the meeting that I experienced, uh, I was lucky enough to sit in on. Um, so we can get into that, but you know, speaking about communication, you mentioned, you know, there's, there's the boat itself, and then there's the tugboats. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned there was tugboats, maybe two, two or three. Yeah. So say if you're one of those tugboats in this organization, um, how were you, who were the other tugboats? Um, and how did you, how did you, how did you communicate with them? Like, what was there, you know, how did you work together to yeah. like, as you say, turn the boat yeah. in the right direction? Well, the, you know, for, thankfully in the beginning, you know, we had a pretty good sized team, you know, so we all, regular it's meetings. It's the robust team that you were. It's the robust team. Yeah, exactly. We had a really good team. We had a lot, we had a pretty heavy lift in front of us. And we all work together to, you know, accomplish. How, however, because a lot of the stuff was not was dependent on others, right? So, and I say others like supervisors or foremen or, you know, people who are running crews or, you know, I mean those. It, it, I mean, you could sit here all day long, and I could write programs all day long. Hey, I mean, I could write a program right now. We could sit here and write one together. But it will have no impact unless you get buy-in from the people that are using it. Mm -hmm. It's implemented correctly, and it's maintained. So how do you accomplish that? You you've got to have people that you're working with. I mean, I've had challenges where you have difference of opinions, where you know, guy, I've been there, done that, know this, and you're coming in here, you young whippersnapper, safety guy, wet behind the ears telling me how to do this job that I've been doing it, you know, 25 years. And, you know, and you gotta kind of be able to work around that and be able to, you know, I, you don't know how many times where I've had literally conversations with, you know, especially the older, older generation who they have, they put in work. Sure. Were they doing it always the right way? Probably not, but they did it. They got it done and they did work. And, you know, being a younger man coming into in, in that environment, you know, you, you, there's still got to be some respect. And so you show that man a respect because of his hard work. Absolutely. But at the same time, I'm not going to, you know, cave because you're doing something wrong. You know, I, I give you a perfect example and I'll leave names out. But he had this particular supervisor who was adamant that everything was my responsibility until I helped him to understand that. I don't supervise your people. Those people work for you, they don't work for me. So how are you expecting me to go down there and tell them what they should be doing when they don't even report to me? I don't, I don't sign their time cards, I don't verify the work that they're doing, it's you. And so it finally he kind of clued into the fact that, okay, yeah, you're right. I said, I'm here to help you. And together we can go and we can make this happen. He said, but I can't do it alone. I need you to be that strong arm that stands in, in there and the authority that stands in there. He said, because I don't control those employees. I don't, I don't direct their work. I don't assign them their work. Uh, so it, it, you know, the old school kind of mentality. 
especially when the new comes in. And so, so when I say they, it, it involved a lot of collaboration. And you know, that, that was where I think my, where I, I realized that it was necessary for that to happen. It's like you, you had to have collaboration with you know, the, the, the front, front line supervisory you know, the, the any, first any effect, any effect, any effect, and at the same time, you also had to have, you also had to have the support from those above. And you know, I, I, I remember reading a, it was a National Safety Council an article on safety leadership years ago, and this the writer used this illustration about uh, you know safety enforcement and safety, you know, just just you know promoting and pushing safety. He is he. he Illustrated as uh, like hammering a nail, he says the driving force has to come from the top, and so you have to you have to have that driving force that says we are going to do this, but then you have to have the buy-in of the guys at the line that are that are you know that front line first line supervisor that is taking this mandate and these this initiative, and then they're they're actually pushing it out to their to their crews, and so there was a lot of collaboration. There's a lot of you know, it's, it's constant. The collaboration for me is, is constant. It's always, you know, chatting with the supervisors. And, you know, one thing that I learned early on was that you, you can't do that from the office. Impossible. It's absolutely impossible. I can get on the phone and I can have a conversation. That's great. But when I'm standing there sitting with you face to face and we're out on your job site and I'm wearing a hard hat, safety glasses, vest, shoes, and you're not, there's a message that gets sent. There is a huge message that gets sent. And so I found myself early on being in their business. And you would have been comfortable with that having come from, you know, being a military Coast Guard, having that experience. Absolutely. I mean, I got comfortable with that because of my role as a, you know, on-scene coordinator for the federal government to do spill response. And I walk in and like, okay, who's, whose fault is this? What's going on? Yeah, why did you spill all this oil? You know, what are you gonna do to clean this up? So, you know, that's where I kind of probably learned that more aggressive ability to just kind of get in to people's stuff and just kind of walk into a shop. I remember this kind of an interesting story, and you know, I will, again, leave the names, you know, this is, New guy, new guy, new safety guy, and old behaviors. And I remember walking or driving by this particular location, and there was a few of our vehicles that were sitting in a, you know, kind of congregated in this area. And I thought, oh, cool, there's a group of guys there. Anytime there's a group of guys, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, that's awesome. I, you know, have an opportunity to talk to them and engage with them and get a sense of what's going on. And, you know, I pull over and I stop. Well, unbeknownst to me that that was, it was an invitation only. And I felt a little awkward by showing up and I just popped right in, walked in the door and guys were jumping up like, what are you doing here? Like nobody invited you in here type of thing and come to find out later it was shortly thereafter that you know i got shut down it was not supposed to be happening oh. <laughs> but that's besides the point but it was like my just nature of just wanting to just be in the mix of stuff and you know and, and that to some degree in fact if you talk to people who've been here for that long you know would always make that comment it's like yeah you seem to always come around right at the opportune time 
you know, right, and, and wrong, time wrong, time. wrong time and or right time, you know. Um, I never really have had anybody, you know, though I though I have the comments, you know, how people that would be, you know, when I show up, oh, it's safe now, and you know, and that, you know, just those types of things is kind of funny to some degree, and you know, and I've I've learned to play it off, and you and know, it's, I, it's that mentality that's common across the board. Yeah, it's that you're talking about. That, that yeah, attitude? Does, yeah, that yeah attitude. no, yes, that no, attitude. I wouldn't say it is. I think it's, it's I think there's, there's, it's not common. It's not common, okay. no. For us, no, it's not common. It's not a common, you know, mentality that people have. It's, you know, it's, for some, it's. Maybe it's just the joker in the classroom sort of thing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's the, it's the attention getter. It's the, you know, the, you know, the, in fact, it's funny because a couple of, people that I've seen do it, they're ones that I, that would probably, I say probably, they, you know, I have never seen them put themselves in a circumstance where they could be injured. They're always wearing safety gear, you know, so it's kind of like, so on the surface, they're, you know, humor and, right. you know, it's like, oh, but they, they follow the rules. When they, it comes down to business, they, they kind of, they yeah. take care of things. And yeah. It's, it's more of a, you know, it's more of a kind of, and it's funny cause those are the military guys usually. Right. So. But, um, you know, and that, that has a lot to do with it. I'm sure, you know, military always picks on military. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. That's just the nature of the beast. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just kind of getting into people's stuff. And I, I remember a colleague, uh, you know, coworker years ago, you know, they made, they made that statement. He says, you know, um, there was a, we had a, um, uh, one of my coworkers who had, who had unfortunately been laid off during, you know, a, particular time and I always sat back and wondered why me and you know why her and not me you know why this person and not me I mean they'd been here longer they had been involved with this program this longer. longevity yeah here and one of my my co-workers came to me and said well you know why it was he says because you put on the vest and you went out and got involved with the people and this per other person didn't and you know I kind of I was kind of like well that's kind of harsh to say about this person, but then I started realizing, yeah, I was actually out there amongst the people, the guys doing the work. I would show up to their job site and say, you know, hey, what's going on? Or I would be interested in what they were doing. And, you know, that's a, to put that personal aspect to make, you know, create, it's not just about enforcing the rule, but it's about really developing a relationship with the knowledge that the rule is always there, right? So the rule is always behind you. And it's like, hey, listen, I'm gonna develop a relationship because I, I'm interested in you as a person, as a human. I wanna see you go home at the end of the day. That was where that passion drove from. But there's a rule and you're not wearing your hard hat. You need to go get your hard hat. So, so there, was a, there was kind of a twofold approach that you know, wasn't distinctly separate, but it you know, was parallel to one another, connected to one another. And so, you know, being able to, to, to develop a relationship where, you know, you, you can sit down in a break room with guys and talk about how their family's doing. And then when you leave the room and they're not doing something, you say, hey, man, what's going on? You know, go get your vest on. You know, and, and so it's, it, it's it, you know, it's, it, it, it's a fine line to walk, you know, for some. And, and again, it's a, it's a behavior it's an acceptance. It's a, you know, there's some organizations you, you can't do that. You know, it's just 
I, I realize that and understand that. There's some organizations you can't be that way. As, as, someone that's, <clears throat> as someone that's leading the safety organization and having to deal, you know, you know, you're having to communicate with these folks and there's probably a lot of reminders and there's, there's mm -hmm. probably a lot of like, um, as you said, going into the field and communicating with them. How do you, how do you create that sort of level of respect, and how do you gain their their attention? Um, you know, with with, and correct me if I'm wrong, with some issues that might seem a little bit more mundane or less of a focus for them. Sure. Right? So going back to this thing of like, they these are their goals. It's one, yeah. two, three. Safety's here. Yeah. It's not their goal, but it should be consistent throughout their work. Yeah. Well, I think the one word you mentioned was consistent, right? So you've got to be consistent. You've got to continue. You know, I think anytime I've felt like anything has not, you know, been a message or a statement or, a, you know, something that is constantly before them, then it, it, it becomes numb because, you know, it becomes kind of distant. And, you know, it doesn't become the forethought or, or the front of their thought in, in what they're, you know, currently doing. So it's, it, it is a constant, you know, just reminder, repetition. Um, that does play a part in it. Um, so for like, me, delivery. Yeah, delivery. Like, let, let, so let's talk about that. We had, um, we were there presenting that day and we were lucky enough to sit in on, was that a... A monthly safety meeting? Yeah, a, a, yeah. A, a quarter, it was a monthly. It was a monthly, yeah. Um, so what, there, there might have been 25 guys there in the room, mm -hmm. and what was the goal of that meeting? Give us a kind of an overview of how, like when you go into that, you have to talk to these guys. Yeah. What's your general, like, do, do you have like a sort of an agenda? Like what's the... Yeah, yeah, so um, a lot of times I, I think of the end from the beginning. You know, what do I want out of this, right? What do I, what do I want to accomplish by this? Is this information only, just digest it, make sure that you get it, or is it gonna demand something? You know, is it gonna require you to do something? Is it gonna, the expectation? Anytime it's just information, it's usually, and you caught me on a day where I was demanding input, I was, I was, I was expecting. I think I, I, I answered some questions. Yeah, I was expecting some feedback. I was, I was expecting them to engage. There, that's not always that way. It's, you know, there are times where it's just, hey, I just want to update you on what's happening, what's going on, policy. There's n nothing connected or hitched to it, um, other than the fact that, you know, hey, if this, ha if this does take place, whether it's a policy change, just know that this policy's changed. Um, so it's really information sharing, you know, that type of thing. Um, but when it demands the, you know, the response or demands a, a requirement or, or a shifting in a, you know, a program or a procedure, um, you know, I tend to look at the end from the beginning. And, and what I mean by that is that, you know, what I want to accomplish and what do I need to get them to accomplish? And that really starts to kind of craft the middle for me. So if I want you to, you know, walk over here and do X, Y, and Z, then how do I get you motivated to do that? So you do it when I'm not there. And that's a challenge. Because now you're talking about the personality of the person, you know, and I've been one to, you know, you go into kind of just, I think from the history of 
doing like safety training and and you know even adult learning you know every adult learns slightly different you know you could you I could sit here and I could talk to somebody through step step one step two step three and and you may get it and you may go, okay cool um, you may need to see something right so step one step two step three and now I need to have you know visual um, maybe it's a demonstration of how to do that or you may be the kind that you have to actually do it in order to accomplish it so I mean it, there's organization of adult learning and so a lot of times you know and this is one thing that you talk about now on the challenge um, you know we 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 have a, a very experienced workforce so they've been doing their work for a long time and so part of the challenge is now you know kind of it's the it's the old adage right trying to teach old dogs new tricks so you got to be creative with how you teach the tricks and I'm learning that there's there's a lot of the you know kind of hands-on that is really necessary because if you haven't been doing something a particular way and I'm sound telling you now you need to do it this particular way to be safe you got to kind of relearn that and so I found that just telling you is probably not the best way. You, I, I need to, for you to demonstrate to me so that it starts to become. And then I need you to, that penetration needs to be deep enough to where you think about it the next time you do it as well. And uh, so those are all the kind of middle in between that beginning, the intro. Hey, we're going to do this training and what I want to accomplish out of this training and how you build it in the middle. And... Uh, and then the crowd comes into play, you know, who you're talking to. Then, yeah, it's like, how are you executing on that? It's, it's really based upon the, you know, the, the people that you're, you know, and knowing people. So if I know that this group can take that information and, and go with it, okay, good. Makes it that much easier or maybe it's, you know, that much smoother. Um, but if I know that it's going to involve a little more of a challenge or the group's going to be a little bit more difficult then you know we got to add some component in there um, the interaction piece for me is huge you know because if you're not interacting then you're probably not paying attention right and I remember in the beginning I actually had a I actually had an employee who I literally thought he was going to record my safety meetings because he says your voice just puts me to sleep and I and I didn't know how to take that I didn't know if I was to take that as like a like a, you know, it's like something that, that I should work on or, or is that like a compliment that you just gave me? And I, and so I'd always laugh at him and I like, well, turn your recorder on. Yeah, so if you str struggle sleeping at night, you can play the safety meeting back over and it'll put you to sleep, you know? And then I found that, you know, bringing guys into a, you know, a seated, seated environment where it's you know kind of warm and, you know, that's going to have an effect on them. You know, it's like, Guys that are normally out working, and you bring them into a you know comfortable environment, yeah, they're, you know they're gonna they're gonna yeah they're gonna exactly they're gonna take a little siesta. We're, we're, and, gonna, we're gonna have to get our listeners uh, feedback on, on your boys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I well, you know, it's funny because my wife, you know, has made comments about that at times. She goes, "Just don't be monotonous." You know, this kind of kind of like. Like, very very simple tone, you know. You gotta put some inflection in there. Like, okay. Thanks, well, so in, in that meeting that day, you did, um, at least what I noticed, and 
and you know the meeting might have lasted maybe you know four to five minutes yeah and 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 there were several sort of different different things that different areas that you were addressing and mm-hmm. um, what I had noticed was you know at the beginning there was guys you know drinking their coffee they were looking out the window towards the end there was there was hands in the air there was yeah. people that like wanted to like be the person to answer the question yeah and um, there was like I think one guy got out of his seat at one point you know he was like um, there was you know there was like there was like uh, you know, differing opinions and then guys like hashing it out you know and what I mean, you know, bringing it up to today, what are the things that you look to achieve? I just see that as like a really fascinating area, like that motivating the people, communicating yeah. with the people, and, 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 and being able to do that effectively, consistently. Yeah. And uh, being in the field, I'm sure, is a big component of it. And what are some of the focuses that you have today, and even, you know, with the view towards the next, you know, Five years, or however yeah. many years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how much longer you're going to be yeah, working. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. You know, where where do you see your your focus and your challenges today and in in the near future? So today, you know, because we see, I think for us, you know, we've had a we've had a small amount of um, turnaround. You know, we've had some folks move into newer positions. So we've had promotions that have happened in our maintenance organizations. So, you know, the, the challenge is taking that, now that individual who was a worker, who's now a leader, supervisor, and getting them to realize that that transition involves, you know, doing other things. So it's not just, you know, about hanging out with the boys and, you know, now you, you've got to lead them. You've got to, you've got to, you know, get in there and yeah you may have to tell one or two of your you know your your guys that you hung out with that you know you can't do that or you've got to do it this way and so it's for me it's getting that that newer group to to kind of flow into that and move into that um this is sort of an evolution of some of the relationships maybe yeah 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 absolutely um you know when you have guys and and you know that's that's the beauty, but I I say beauty, but also kind of a curse, if you will, of you know promoting within because you know we were pals working side by side, and now I'm your boss, and the transition from pal to boss is huge because now I've got to you know enforce rules, and before we you know bucked up against the rules together, and you know so it's it, it, it's a challenge you know, where we found, you know, with situations where, you know, a guy comes from the outside as a supervisor, he's got a different mentality. He's coming knowing he's the boss. And so, you know, that trying to pair those two up and trying to kind of get them on the same same page, so to speak, that's that's been a challenge. Because I, I do, I currently have, you know, a, a few of my supervisors that are, you know, they're supervisors. And they've literally told me, I'm not here to be your buddy, I'm here to be your boss. So if I ask you to do this, then that's exactly what I want to have happen. Whereas, yeah, exactly. Whereas, you know, somebody who was the buddy, you know, it's kind of like, hey man, you think you can maybe do that? You know, and so it's a whole different mentality. So it's trying to get everybody up to that 
that kind of standard. Um, you know, that, again, it goes back to the personality, it goes back to the behavior, the culture. Those are all things that, you know, kind of come into play. At least for my organization, that's what, what comes into play. Um, you know, and, and being able to, you know, give them that authority, give them that knowledge, that understanding. So going forward, that's actually where we're moving. It's, it's, it's for me, it's not so much about the day-to-day -day guys doing the work in the field, though that is still critical, and that's always going to be part of, you know, my program as, as, as you were, the health and safety program. Um, but it's really the focus for me is, you know, at the supervisor level, to give them that, the tools, the, you know, empower them with the knowledge to be able to, you know, go, go and keep this thing moving and keep it going so that, you know, the reliance isn't, you know, it's that guy's job, the, you know, the safety guy's job. You know, I, I, I don't want that to be, you know, I, I, I want to, when I want to, you know, kind of like legacy, if you will, I want to leave when I do plan to leave and I will keep that date under tight wraps <laughs> at this stage, but when I do plan to leave, you know, it, it almost, almost kind of like, you know, you see those, uh, you know, the, the legends never die type of a thing, you know, it's kind of that whole mentality. It's like, you know what, I want the, 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 the time, the annals of time to speak the name that, you know, came in and literally transitioned and turned the ship around and got us in the right, you know, it's kind of my, you know, little bit of passion, I guess, to some degree. And, you know, and you instill that into, it's like the, the mysteriousness around, you know, historical figures like you know William Wallace you know who I mean, Braveheart you know I remember Braveheart I think people spoke his name for years to come you know because of the you know this impact of this one particular person and so if I can get people's thought process you know and that's maybe just my own you know weird mentality of myself but if I can get people's thought process into you know just the health and the safety of their people that work with them, um, then I've accomplished something, you know, and is it a challenge? Yeah, absolutely. It's a challenge because everything changes, you know, and everything's, we, we have, a uh, old buildings and old infrastructure and, and we have, you know, experienced employees that have been doing jobs for long periods of time. And, um, you know, so yeah, I mean, it's a, it, I think going forward, the continuation will be to really, you know, look at the approach. You know, we've started doing some stuff here within the department that I'm, that I'm connected with here at HR with, you know, a whole kind of holistic safety, health, wellness, you know, initiatives that we're pushing forward, um, which includes, you know, not just the physical safety of what how you do your job and the condition of your workplace but you know the the wellness piece of you know you that's as an individual a, a and thing. it's a huge thing you know and and your physical conditioning and you know your your health not only mentally but physically and emotionally um, you know we look at financial health and you know these are all factors that kind of come into play so so you know the that whole component revolves around you know just this approach to creating it's not just about get out here and you know sling a hammer but you know what happens when you yeah. leave the job and you right. know you're 
the benefits that you have when you're outside and you know are you walking are you enjoying your life you know those are those are all things that we're really driving towards you know it's both on the job and off the job it's you know safety becomes just part of who you are not just something you do at work it, it becomes you know your wellness is something that you do maybe outside of your job when you go to the gym, but it affects your job when you come to your job. So yeah. those are all big things that are, you know, that are just, that we're moving towards and really trying to get our employees to understand and realize it's, that's what we're shooting for. That's what we're trying so to do. I, I do want to be conscious of time. Yeah, absolutely. We've only got a couple more minutes, but um, <clears throat> no, I mean, I think like the scope of this organization and many other organizations, mm -hmm. you can see it, it's a, uh, you can call it a movement, but it's definitely, it's like culture as a whole is taking this on. Your, the responsibility of people working in your organization is, is growing. Yeah. That's like the, the scope, it's like you said, outside of work, how does that affect yeah. uh, wellness? Absolutely. Th these things that wouldn't have been at the forefront of a business's right. uh, or a safety organization's priorities. Right. Um, it's definitely going in that direction. But you know, I, I just want to say, Desmond, um, you know, from what I know of the Port of Oakland, and just even, even, even you know, the, here, like be, being a being a citizen of of, of this town and the, this city, um, you know, it, it would seem that you guys are doing an excellent job. And having been exposed, you know, in the safety meetings, and having, you know, spoke with some of the guys down there, like Kevin and some others, um, it just seems like you guys are doing an excellent job. I well, appreciate that. And I, I want to thank you as well for being on here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and sharing all your thoughts. It's it was it's been it's been um, just fascinating to be okay. honest. Like hearing hearing the timeline and getting your perspective, the analogies. Love the analogies. Um, Beautiful. So yeah, it's been it's been really awesome. Um, well, it's been quite a journey, and I appreciate the opportunity as well. I mean, and hopefully to the you know anybody that listens to this. I mean. You never give up hope. If you're, you're facing a, a, a hill or a challenge to climb, just keep pushing, you know, keep, keep stepping, keep climbing, keep, you know, keep pushing at it. You know, eventually you'll, you'll get what you, you know, you're wanting to accomplish and then realize that you're not alone, you know, have other people. That's been my saving grace is really just collaboration and coordination and bringing other people into the, you know, and giving them, giving them that in passion, you know, and kind of lighting the fire along the way. And uh, so, yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to kind of share and and uh, hopefully it's a benefit for someone. It is, and all, all really good lessons. That's that's exactly, that's exactly um, just unbelievable advice, truly. So Great. I appreciate it. James, thank you. Yeah, thank all you. right. Hey guys, thanks for listening. I'm really grateful for that conversation with Desmond. He's an awesome dude. He's an absolute leader in the health and safety space and it's such awesome stories to share. There's way more of that conversation I wanted to share, but the episode was already too long. But I hope you got a lot of value from it. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, please, I would really love to get your feedback, positive or negative send me an email, hit me up on LinkedIn, whatever's easiest. And definitely follow this podcast um, and stay tuned for new episodes coming soon. All right, see you soon.